0: When Mary and I were first married, we um, moved into a farmhouse in Ohio, and it was um, really cheap. So as part of my tenant responsibilities, I had some jobs to do. I took over as a caretaker of sorts. Mary and I inherited a German shepherd, a slew of barn cats, an old mower that took forever to get the lawn mowed, and about 200 pigs. Anytime that the farmer went out of town, I was responsible for helping him with the livestock. So my responsibilities for pig care included um, walking through the barn on a daily basis and making sure they were all getting up and healthy. If they weren't healthy, I moved them over to a separate pen and gave them different food. And if they weren't, totally unhealthy or dead then I would get I had to get them out of there and so I'd go get some baling twine that was on a wall in the barn and I'd loop it around their hoofs front and back and then I had to drag them out of there and then I'd hook them onto the back of a tractor and then I would have to drive about a half mile out to a little patch of woods where the farmer his name was Ron had dug a big hole with a backhoe like as deep as he could go and I would throw the dead pigs into this big pen, it was a a big pit, it was a mass pit grave for dead hogs. So one season, an epidemic had gone through, pigs were dying all over, and Ron's like, we're going on vacation. Oh, perfect. And so for this two weeks, daily, I was pulling two, three, four dead hogs out of there, putting them on the back of the tractor and hauling them out to this pit we had also gotten a lot of rain and so this hole was filled with water kind of it was covered with a green slime and bloated pig carcasses and anything that was sticking above the water was reduced to nothing but bones and hooves because the rats would hop from carcass to carcass or the possums and eat whatever was above the water. It was a horrible sight. And the smell rivaled the view. Now, one day after my responsibilities at the pit, I drove the tractor back to the house. And Ron, the farmer's nephew, Aaron, was standing on our porch waiting for his mom to pick him up. They had Moved mid-school year, so the school bus would drop him off at our house, then his mom would come pick him up. And so I had, um, previous to Mary, this kid Aaron, he was 16, he was responsible for removing the hogs and disposing of the dead. So we chatted for a bit, and I gave him the lowdown of the grisly conditions of hog grave swamp. And then what Aaron told me next was worthy of Reader's Digest drama in real life. So, previous season, there was another epidemic, and Aaron was daily taking dead pigs out to the pit, dragging them over to the edge, and then pushing them over into the pit. One particular pig was quite large, and he was really yanking on the baling twine, And the baling twine snapped, and Aaron went heels overhead backward, fell four feet down into the pit. When he emerged, he frantically began, like he went totally under, he frantically began pushing dead hogs out of the way and tried pawing up out of the side of the pit, but the sides were slick from the backhoe scrapes. And so he just kept sliding back down into the pit, and he realized, I've got to get my muck boots off. They had filled up, and so he heel-toes the muck boots off, then he's feeling what wasn't floating that sunk below him, and he finally, finally was able to grab a hold of a root that didn't snap that had happened numerous times, and he was able to get himself up out of this pit of death. He told me that following that experience, he had nightmares for months. In the book of Psalms, David had found himself fresh out of such a pit. And yet, even out of the pit, he was beginning to slide into another one. And so, David opens Psalm 40 giving thanks. For the removal, for the rescue out of one pit. In verse 2, he says, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And then verses 1 through 10, and we read the first five of those together, he begins to detail His rescue. We're going to come back to this. Section. But then, if we fast forward to the end of the Psalm, verses 12 through 17, David finds himself sliding back in to another pit. And he's making a request for another rescue. And in his description of the type of rescue that he is seeking, we see clearly. In these verses that David is looking for rescue from two different types of pits. Pits that he has dug by his own hands. And then pits that have been prepared for him by others with evil intentions. And so in verses 12 through 13, David describes these two types of pits. His first one he mentions is his self-excavated pit. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. This is a pit of David's own making. He realizes that his difficulties are the result of his own sin, which are numerous, and have provided him with blindness. He puts this forward first, recognizing that he himself, and we know this from the rest of the Psalms, but he recognizes that he himself has sinned against the Lord far more than anybody has ever sinned against him. And yet, nonetheless, he requests that the Lord would be pleased with deliverance from his self-made pit. Church, this is good news for us, because I think oftentimes in our own self-generated pits, we tend to feel like we deserve to be in them. True. We hesitate to ask for rescue because after all, it's a pit of my own making. I did this to myself, and we're hesitant to seek the Lord. True. And yet David says, Lord, be pleased to come get me again. And then in verses 14 through 15, he describes pits that have been dug by others. He says in verse 14, let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame, who say to me, Aha! Aha! Here we see that David is describing those who desire, in his words, to snatch away life, to bring him dishonor, and who delight in his hurt, and then stand by and say, See? I told you so. You deserve this. And David understands something that's very important that we need to take note of. Whether it's a self-excavated or an other excavated pit, his rescuer is the same. And his rescuer is eagerly willing to help in both circumstances. (coughs) And so for us, whether we have dug the pit ourselves or others have dug a pit for us, The issue is the same. It's about trust in the Lord. It's not about trusting ourselves and what I can do and what I can manufacture and how do I get myself out of here. It's not about trusting other people and trusting ourselves to other people. David is encouraging us that we look to the same God from either pit who is pleased to rescue us. And so in verse 13, he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. And then the psalm ends in verses 16 and 17. And David has resigned himself to this faithful God. The God who is a pit rescuer. And so he closes, But all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, do not delay, oh my God. One of the things we learn from this psalm of David is this. Life is full of pits. And often, it might even feel like all we do in life is move from one pit to another with short stints in between. But rather than being discouraged from the number or the types of pits we experience, David wants to focus our eyes to fix our gaze on the rescuer. Verse 16, he said, May those who seek you rejoice, be glad, and love your salvation. You see what he's doing? Regardless of the pit, seek the Lord, trust Him, rejoice, be glad, love your salvation. What David wants to teach us to do is not come up with book lists that we have shelves of, by the way, of how to get out of pits, how to stay out of pits, how to stay away from other people who dig pits, David wants to encourage us to turn our hearts to trusting the Lord. And so like David, we can say we are poor and needy and constantly in need of refuge, whether it's us or somebody else generated. I need your rescue, Lord. And I want to learn to love your rescue. So we can say with the Lord, with David, great is the Lord. So as we head into 2024, you can know this. Your life is going to be full of pits. I don't say this is a discouragement. Some of you may be saying, wow, what a great way to start the year, huh? (laughs) Nothing like a pep talk to remind us. Now we're going to be all in, involved in pits. I argue, though, that some of us have made it our aim to live a pitless life. Oftentimes, we might even struggle with making a life pit free and idle. It's what we live for just want to avoid all the pits but this isn't a psalm about avoiding pits it's also not a psalm about how to distance yourself from pit makers it's a psalm that relates with Jesus's words that said in this life you will have trouble And the answer is always the same. Trust the Lord. Now some of us this year are going to experience more pits than others. But here is one thing I can guarantee everyone in earshot of this teaching. In 2024, you will find yourself in some pits. Pits you have dug for yourself, pits other people have dug for you, and I'm going to stray from the passage a little bit, but I know this is true experientially. And pits that I have co labored and contracted with other people, and we've dug them together. True? And what we find in Psalm 40 are some lessons between the pits and how we find our way through and out when we're in them. So here's pit lesson number one. Wait patiently for the Lord. David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He's reminding us is our temptation is to not wait patiently on the Lord. Yeah? To do everything else. We need to hear this because there's other options and we often find them easier in the short term, longer in the hard. Yeah? It's easier immediately To trust myself, to do the thing, to make it happen, to to, to move the shells around. Easier short term, longer hard term. Harder to trust the Lord in the short, better in the long. You with me? And David is encouraging us, wait patiently on the Lord. There are other options we read a few weeks ago Isaiah chapter 50 verse 10 the israelites had been all over the map with this one and they have been they've been making all kinds of pacts with other nations they're not waiting patiently for the lord they're going to go find answers here and they're going to get safety here and they're going to find security here we can relate and this is happening in Isaiah chapter 50 and the prophet Isaiah says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord. He acknowledges the same thing David does. You're going to be in a pit. And what's going to be really hard, the, uh, Isaiah said, is when you walk in darkness and you have no light, trust in the name of the Lord. Rely upon your God. And he says this, Behold, here's the temptation, all you who light fires, who equip yourselves with burning torches. He's talking about self-made light. That it's possible to generate our own light. Hey, it's dark in here. Wait patiently on the Lord. No, I got a pile of matches and I got a lighter, I think wait patiently on the Lord or Isaiah says go you can go walk in the light of your fires and the torches that you have kindled for yourselves but know this this you will receive from my hand you will lie down in torment You will see for a while, until your light goes out, and then you won't wait on the Lord. Or we said a few weeks ago, Psalm 37 encourages much the same. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, pit makers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Trust Him. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. So pit lesson number one, wait patiently on the Lord. Pit lesson number two, Make the Lord your trust. Verse 4, David said, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. David says that the man who makes the Lord his trust is blessed. As we saw in Isaiah chapter 50, David says something similar the tendency or the temptation is, look at the end of verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. Two temptations. Trust somebody who's proud, or trust in a lie. Make yourself a fire, trust the proud, Or go after things that aren't true, that people are tell you that the Lord doesn't know what he's talking about. And may I remind us that trusting the Lord or making the Lord our trust is not just saying, I got to trust the Lord. Or maybe we even say it like this. I'm just trusting the Lord. Okay. Let me give you a freebie. If you're saying it like this, I'm just trusting the Lord, you're not. (laughs) okay? (laughs) Trust is displayed by action. Trust is not passive. I'm just trusting the Lord, waiting for something to happen. No, trusting the Lord is, is displayed by saying, I'm going to do something now based on that trust. Let me give you some examples. Start with myself. By the way, sometimes this backfires on me. But I think it's really helpful and important. I can tend to get overwhelmed I've been that way. My brain takes in a lot of information all at once. Some ways this serves me really well. Other ways it doesn't. When I get overwhelmed, I go into performance and problem-solving mode. And when that happens, I suffer and the people around me suffer. This can look like a lot of different things, but it can look like me being Grumpy, it's a nice way of saying angry. Silent treatment, it can look like impatience or harsh requests and demands. What is this? It's a lack of trusting the Lord. You with me? I get overwhelmed. I have got to get myself out of this pit and you're going with me. So are you and you. Right? Trusting the Lord for me in this situation literally means a volitional, meaning me, a volitional shift in my thinking that results in acting out my belief. I'm overwhelmed, I'm barking orders. I'm in sin. Lord, you're sovereignly in charge. I believe, I say all the time, I teach that you're sovereignly in charge of the universe. I'm not living like it right now. I'm going to turn from this and you are in charge. There's a couple things for me to do right now, but not everything. I can't change this or that or him or her. What I can change is me because I trust you. And this is all going to turn out for your glory and my good. Because that's the way you work. And then all of a sudden, as I align myself, the grumpies go away. Because it's covered with what? It's peace. Because I have volitionally shifted myself and said, I trust you. Not, I'm just trusting the Lord. But no. I'm, sh- I'm shifting myself to trust. You with me? So what about you? When troubles arise, where do you go? What do you trust in? We talk a lot about the four hearts. I think Scripture boils all of life down to four tendencies, and we see them regularly throughout Scripture. I've also talked to you about this before. Even the psychological world has picked up on this. The whole Diagnostic Statistical Manual of of Psychological Disorders is boiled down into, guess what, four quadrants. Depressive disorders, impulse disorders, anxiety disorders, and uh, depressive disorders. Did I say that one? It's four of them. I got myself jumbled up. I can't remember which ones I've told you. But they're there, okay? But the Bible has been teaching this for thousands of years. When troubles arise, some of us go to frantically pleasing people. Anxiety disorders. Or perhaps you go to controlling with your anger. Or impulse disorders, that's the one I missed. You self-medicate by distracting yourself. By finding something to busy yourself and you're always going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing because you're not, you don't know what it means to just rest and trust the Lord. You're on your phone or alcohol or constant activity or you may be prone to pity parties. Painting yourself as a victim you become a dark cloud in the life of everyone around you. Why? Trust for you looks like action. Trust for me. We can choose to shift ourselves by submitting to what is true. Some of you may argue, that sounds like behavior modification. Even the world can do that. No, it can't because it doesn't have the truth from the word of the Lord in which to submit itself. So the only thing it can do is submit itself unto itself. That's not worship of the living God. We have the living God, and we're going to see in a minute, David says, thank you for opening up my ears to hear you. And trusting is, we have, church, We have the opportunity to hear the Lord and we volitionally, by an act of faith that pleases Him, trust Him by adjusting ourselves to Him. That is not behavior that is relational. That shifts to behavior, but it starts relationally. I believe you before I believe me. I bring myself under you even when I don't feel like it because I trust you because you alone are wise and you alone know the way to life. And so we shift ourselves and we live like God is lovingly in charge and we move from being served to serving we move from being frustrated or angry to peace we move from depressive to maybe pensive or thoughtful or we move from anxiety to rest this is this is hard work but we're all capable of it and everybody in the room's done it you've been in a mood mm, grumpy with your family or whatever it is you're doing And then somebody fresh walks in the room or the phone rings. Oh, hello, right? I have been telling myself a lie for years. And I was being grumpy with Mary. I was sinning. And um, it was during the Backroads tour like eight years ago. No, like two months ago. I wish I was past that. But I was being grumpy. I was sinning. And I was walking out to the pole barn because some customers had pulled up. And I was telling myself my, all kinds of lies about how I work and how it, the way my mind just, I can't, I'm, I'm wired in such a way that I can't adjust myself when I'm in these places, I'm having these thoughts as I'm going out to my pole barn. And then all of a sudden I'm interacting with a customer for 30 seconds. And then all of a sudden I'm how are you? taking around the shop I'm showing them different kinds of wood. They leave, and I realized my mood has completely shifted. What's the difference? I did it because I feared my customers' respect of me, or I wanted them to like. I did it. I shifted. I'm capable. You're capable. You're not trusting the Lord shift, trust the Lord, you can do it. You have the Spirit indwelling you, and you can hear the Word of God, and you know what direction to go. We can do it. Turn, repent, shift, change, trust, look, love His salvation. Some of us need to stop doing things that reveal our lack of trust, or we may need to do things that reveal trust. Obey your parents when you don't agree. Husbands, pray with your wife when you don't feel like it. Lead your family in loving the Lord. Repent out loud as a leader. And trust yourself to the Lord. Or maybe respect your husband when you think criticism is more effective. Or being patient with your children when you... Don't feel like you're able to because you've got stuff going on in your life. Maybe you can give joyfully during offering time. That's a trust reality. Or maybe showing hospitality when you rather isolate or be alone. Not just having people over your home, but inviting them into your spirit. So our second pit lesson is this. Make the Lord your trust, and our trust is displayed by action. Pit lesson number three. Delightfully obey your hearing of the Lord. Verses six through eight. David says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Some of you, if you're new to your Bible, in, in, if you've got an ESV Bible right next to where it says, you have given me an open ear, there's a little number two. That's, that's not a verse reference that tells you that there's a note below that you can take a look at. So if you go down to the very small print that you might need not only reading glasses, but reading glasses and a microscope, it's down there at the bottom, and it says, Hebrew, ears you have dug for me. What David is saying is you have dug out the junk in my ears so that I can see you, that I can hear you. My ears were plugged and you have opened them so that I can hear you. Isn't it interesting? We're talking about pits and what it is to be in a pit. And David says this in the middle of this, sacrifices and offering you have not delighted. What's he saying? This is not about behavior. Is not just about shifting what you do. He's saying, you want a heart that trusts you and you have opened up my ears to hear you so that I can obey what you've said to me. That's trust. This psalm teaches us that pit rescue is not about getting your behavior correct so you can be released from your pit. I have said this, and many of you have said this to me. I just got to learn this lesson so I can get out of this. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. I just got to... Man, it just. It, this is like God is a taskmaster saying, when you get your stuff together, I'll let you out of the pit. That, d- that doesn't tend to generate a lot of love and compassion. And I'm trusting you. This is what David is explicitly saying here. You may argue, yeah, but you said we dig our own pits with our own sins, so if we correct the sin, we get out of the pit. No, hear me, and I really mean this, please hear me. When our pits are self-generated, we did not get into them because of behaviors that if we correct, we get out. When our pits are self-generated, we did not get into them directly because we were practicing specific behaviors, and if we just shift those behaviors, we can get out of the pit. And when the pits are others-generated, we also don't get out of those pits by cajoling or manipulating, or badgering others to correct their behavior so then we can get out of the pit. We got into pits because we did not trust the Lord. You with me? If you take all of our sin and you boil it down, at the end of the day, do you know why I go my way and not the Lord's way? Why? Because I do not trust Him. True? I'm going to go my way or I'm going to go the Lord's way. Why? Why would I go my way rather than the Lord's way? Because I trust me. David is telling us that the issue of your pit, self-generated or others-generated, is an issue of trust. The Lord through David is helping us to see beyond behavior to the heart. Verse 6, in sacrifice and an offering you have not delighted. If we look below the surface of our behavior to the heart or to the root of the issue, our self-generated pits are the result of not trusting the Lord. And if we're in pits that other people have dug for us, the way out is not getting them to behave. It's trusting the Lord. You with me? And again, so David goes on to say, but you have given me an open ear. David is saying, it is a gift to be able to hear you, Lord. I can hear your truth. And if nothing else, I have want for it. Therefore, he says, I am available to you, O Lord, for the performance of your will. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. I delight to do your will. It's a prophecy of Christ. Christ quotes this book, this this verse, and it's recorded in Hebrews. But David utters it and says, I want to obey you because I trust you. And David is telling us that's what the Lord wants. Will that generate behavior? Absolutely it will. But it's an issue of trust first, not behavior. We doing okay? Pits tend to darken our view. So David says, my iniquities have overtaken me. I cannot see. Here's the summary of this section. Delightfully obey what you know, what you do know, what you've heard. While you wait to hear what you haven't. A lot of times when we're in pits, we're looking for answers. And a lot of times when you're in pit, it's answers that we don't have. David says, obey the truth that you have. Obey the truth that you've heard. And wait for the Lord to show you the truth that you haven't. So pit lesson number three. Delightfully obey your hearing of the Lord. Hit lesson number four. Prolifically rehearse and proclaim your previous rescue stories, guys. I'm going to tell you this is one of the most powerful things I think for our growth and change. And I, I, I encourage you, I implore me and you to this in 2024. Regularly, prolifically rehearse and proclaim your previous rescue stories. That's what David is doing here. So in verse 5, he says, You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. He also says in verses 9 and 10, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the congregation. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a rescue story. You have a profound deliverance story. Paul says to the Colossians, He has delivered, same word as rescued, He has rescued you, From the domain of darkness and transformed you, transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. That is your rescue story. God has taken you from darkness and put you in a kingdom of light. And, church, too often we miss that rescue. While we're complaining about stuff that literally in five years won't matter. And this moving from a dominion of darkness, from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is your greatest and most profound rescue story. This is Your and my rescue story that will make all your other rescue stories sound small. They're great, but they're not like this one. Yet, we have more rescue stories that keep coming. Paul says to the Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You got more. He'll also say, Paul will also say to the Romans, and if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have multiple glorious rescue stories. Romans 8:32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Guys, we have too many rescue stories to rehearse and to tell. And we're telling way too many lame stories about how we haven't been rescued yet. You with me? It's true. Say it's true. and on top of in addition to everything that i've just read we have bibles we're sitting in a good church with a great group of people we have the ability to hear his truth we have wives and husbands that love us and that are that are staying committed to us we have children that are striving to love the lord or maybe needs shepherding but there's there's response we have Children that we can love. We have children at all. You have a spouse at all. You have friends at all. You with me? You have Bibles that you can open every day. You have apps on your phone. You have truth to consume. We have been gloriously and consistently rescued. And that ought to be the running theme flowing from our mouths. I'm going to say this strongly, and we need to hear it. And if that's not regularly running from your mouth, you're sinning. You're out of line. You and me have been rescued and delivered. Over and over and over again. And we're not seeing it. If we're complaining. If we're not trusting. So verse 3, David says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. This is my mother's life verse. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Why? Because David's singing His praises out of his mouth. God help us to sing the praises out of our mouth for you. Verse 5. You had multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. I will proclaim and tell of them. Verses 9-11, through I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I'm not keeping this to myself. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Pit lesson number four prolifically rehearse and proclaim your previous rescue stories. So four lessons from the pit, from between the pits for 2024. And by the way, these apply whether you're in a pit, whether you're in between the pits, or you're sliding into another pit. They apply. Wait patiently for the Lord. Make the Lord your trust. Delightfully obey your hearing of the Lord and prolifically rehearse and proclaim all your previous rescues. Father, we are a rescued people. We have been delivered times without number. Forgive me for being overwhelmed with details that don't matter and instances that I cannot control and miss and rest in and trust your rescuing of me. Help my dear church family in the same way that we would repent and turn of our sin that we would take joy, that we would love your salvation, that we would, like David, speak to you from the pit, in the middle of the pit, sliding into the pits, that we would trust you and love your salvation. And I'm convinced, Lord, as we do this together, we will find ourselves more like Jesus as a result than any efforts we can conjure up on our own. And so Lord, even now, we commit ourselves, this year, whatever, our lives, once again, we've heard Your truth, we're reminded, and we say, I'm going to trust You. I'm going to trust You more, because You're worthy, You're good, and You're kind. And so strengthen our hearts, Lord, to live out this commitment before You for Your great glory, and that we might have life and have it in abundance as Christ came to bring. And we trust You in Him. Amen.